Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Artemis podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Chance, and today I am joined by my co-host, Marsha Brownlee. Hi, Marsha. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, I'm again. We're entering into that podcast season where I have to turn my heater off, so I'm super bundled up with a nice hot cup of coffee <laughs> in order to keep warm during this conversation. But otherwise, I'm doing fantastic. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So here in Tennessee, last night was the first night since the baby was born that we could sleep with the windows open because it was finally cool enough. Oh, that's crazy. Yep. Yay fall. Yeah, yay fall. And our guest today is Bree Bashford. Hi, Bree. Hey, Ashley. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, we're really excited to dive into some of the stuff we have to talk to you about. To start us off, I would like to ask you, what's in your freezer? You know, this is probably my favorite question that you guys ask. <laughs> um, right now, I have three different amazing food sources in my freezer. I have my first pronghorn that I got last fall. I've got some leftover ground and roasts from that. Got my first elk in the freezer and then this fall I actually had my first harvest of uh, my first flock of chickens. I raised some chicks this spring and they finally hit the point where they were large enough size that I could serve them up and that was a, a really neat accomplishment for me. Oh my gosh, so many questions right away. <laughs> uh, Marsha, do you have a question? Because I have a lot that I want to just dig in on here. Um, yes, I have a lot of questions. One is, uh, it's, it's so cool that you're harvesting your own chickens that way, and I'd love to hear more about that. But also, I'm curious where you got your pronghorn and your elk. Yeah, so I am originally from Colorado, and... Um, you know, with the craziness of 2020, I was fortunate enough to, to go home. And so I spent my fall season in Colorado and I was able to, to find a mentor to teach me the new species of pronghorn because I had no idea how to sneak up on a creature on a very flat field. So uh, those were, that was the plains of Colorado. And then I also got my elk in Colorado, kind of in the, um, the, the central north part of Colorado. We borrowed my parents' little RV, my husband and I, and we'd made a weekend of it. So nice. That's amazing. Done. And, and a Colorado elk in a weekend. Good job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, you make it sound pretty uncomplicated. Oh, <laughs> uh, you like, just wait. Uh, we'll, we'll dig into it in a little bit for sure. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, what a huge year Two two of your first for both really big game species, really big, big game species, not? Yeah, it was a really great year full of firsts. And, you know, I've been, I've been hunting for, uh, I think I learned in like 2014 is when I started down the path. Um, and I have been building and building and I feel like each year I kind of have the goal to, to try something new or to experience a new species or a new technique. And I was just lucky enough that it all worked out in my favor to get those two. And I also had a mule deer tag, but with the fire season, they closed the national forest on me, I think two different times. And so I wasn't able to to fill that mule deer tag, but I still enjoyed the, the adventure of finding new places and reading the maps and scouting new properties. And it, it all worked out and I had a good time. That's awesome. Uh, one other question I had, one thing I wanted to dive in on that Marsha kind of mentioned, you said that you raise your own chickens. I am envious of this. Yes, it has been a dream of mine to have my own chickens for, for quite some time. And it all comes back down to what was my motivation to, to go down the path of learning how to hunt. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Denver. So, I, you know, I grew up with, with the neighbors and uh, a tight community and not a lot of uh, rural 
rural interactions with the outdoors. I didn't grow up fishing. We, we owned a piece of property in the mountains and that's kind of where we would go for our day hikes and where we'd go for, you know, barbecues and events like that. Um, but not a whole lot of really intense camping or outdoor adventures. But I really developed a passion and a desire to get food from uh, a more natural background. Uh, and to, to elaborate on that, I had a desire to procure my food from locations besides the industrial food system. Um, and so with that, I moved out here to Georgia for my R3 position with the Georgia R3 initiative in January. And my husband and I were lucky enough to be able to buy a piece of property that had a chicken coop on it. And I bought my chickens before we even closed on the house because I was like, <laughs> chicken this is, excitement. I love yeah, that. Yeah, th this is happening. Um, I'm making it happen. So it's been really fun. That's awesome. Can you can you talk a little bit about um, how it's different to harvest an animal that you've raised versus one that you encounter in its quote unquote natural life? Yeah. So. I think for some people, they're very intimidated by the idea of giving their heart to something and then stop, literally stopping that heart. Um, and, it, and it is intimidating, but it was something that I knew that I would be able to handle because I give my heart to all of the wildlife that I harvest out in the woods. Um, I feel like I have the most intimate relationship with any animal that ends up feeding me and my family that I knew it wouldn't be too much different. So I, my husband didn't want me to name the birds um, because he, with his many sisters was like, once you name them, you're, you're, you're out of it. But I knew that I could name them and I could have affection for them and I could give them the high quality life that they deserved. Um, and still appreciate that life even through the end of that life. Um, and so I think the, the first animal, I harvested six roosters this fall. And my first one, I definitely was a little anxious and nervous. And I didn't know how it would go. But I did my research and I had all of my, you know, my, my butchering table, my harvesting equipment. And... Yeah, I definitely got a little teary and I had to hug my husband a bit, but I was able to overcome it and get past that first one and the other five went really smoothly and um, it was fun. We weighed them to see which breeds would put on more weight and, um, you know, just kind of got to enjoy the science perspective of it, of it as well. That's really beautiful, Brie. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. I really love the analogy of, of giving your heart to something and and how you talk about that, yeah, that the high level of intimacy when you're literally consuming another animal's flesh for sustenance. I mean, I feel the, the same way that you described. I, I absolutely despise eating like, you know, fast food chicken or, or anything that came out of the industrial food chain because I know that animal had a terrible life. And I just feel like I'm literally feeding myself with this. I don't want to feed myself off of the misery of other beings, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like I get anxiety going to the grocery store and walking in the meat section because it's it's hard for me to, okay, I want to find all the right buttons, but it's hard in our world because just because it's the label says one thing, what does that really mean? And and so I, I feel like there's this level of distrust I have for the industrial food system and the industrial markets and and, and, you know, that's why I've, I've taken this on uh, this entire journey is because I wanted to take responsibility for, for the good. But to be honest, I wanted to be, take responsibility for the bad too, you know, with, with hunting and angling and life in general, it doesn't go perfect every time. And um, I didn't want to turn a blind eye to that. If, if it was going to go wrong, I wanted to be aware of it and I wanted to recognize it and I wanted to do better next time. And I think we've all had our, our fair share of, of those moments. Um, and we just, I, I use an analogy and it brings me comfort every time of 
sometimes we're just little lion cubs learning how to feed ourselves. Um, sometimes it doesn't go perfectly every time, but we're still learning and we'll always learn. Absolutely. Maybe if I just, if we want to back up a little bit and you can give us kind of some, some context, some of the background of your life and what brought you to this, this point. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit more about me. Uh, as I said, I grew up in Colorado. I went to school in Fort Collins, Colorado State University, and I studied wildlife and I, I loved it. But there is a piece of wildlife that is more fitting for some people than other people. And, and that's the hard data, that's the, the hard science. And so even though I enjoyed learning about wildlife, I found myself gravitating towards working with people and outreach with, particularly with youth. I found a huge passion in environmental education. And after graduating with my wildlife degree, I spent a, many years traveling uh, and I traveled to, to Georgia, to California, to Arizona. I worked with Boy Scouts of America. I worked with 4-H, and I really enjoyed that as well. But I found myself wanting to work with adults because we as adults have a little bit more focus, I guess you could say. And when we want to learn, we tend to put our minds to it. And with that, I also wanted to get a little bit more back into to conservation and less babysitting, you could say. And I stumbled on a couple of different opportunities. I did a lot of R3 work in California. And for those that don't remember, I don't think I've introduced it yet. R3 is the recruitment, the retention and the reactivation of hunters, anglers, and shooting sport participants. So I was able to do some volunteer work in California. I ended up giving a speech in front of a crowd of like 100 individuals at uh, University of California, Long Beach, um, California State University, excuse me, and in front of 100 pro-vegans and that was a challenging Whoa. conversation. Yeah. That sounds intense. We're going to have to get the cliff notes of that speech because I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. So the speech, it was hosted by a group and their intent was to seize animal torture. And they reached out to the DNR and was like, hey, can you come participate in this debate? And can you share your perspectives, the ethical perspectives of eating meat? And it was an amazing opportunity for me to really dig into what does meat mean to me and how is it a part of who I am in my culture and what is my relationship with life and relationship with death. And it went really, really well. I was nervous and debate is not my strong suit, but the audience was receptive and polite and they had a lot of follow-up questions. And so I think that experience propelled me and helped me know that outreach focusing on food and focusing on our relationship to the outdoors and relationship to other creatures was important to me. So that's kind of how I got down this path of R3. And Brie, if I could break in real quickly, because I do think I love that conversation between hunters and vegans, because I think our values are oftentimes coming from the same place. And I would be very curious to know what kind of questions they asked. Yeah. Um, I had one question that asked uh, specifically about the implements and specifically about the guns, because there's such fear around guns. And he asked, would you still hunt if you couldn't use guns? And the answer was uh, an outstanding yes. And I think the takeaway I got from that is people view guns, some people view guns as weapons. Some people like myself view guns as tools. Um, and a tool to, to accomplish the mission of taking an animal, 
quickly and humanely, effectively. And so that was one unique question that I got. A couple other questions asked about my emotions when I harvest an animal. I had an individual make a comment of, I didn't know that people who eat meat think so hard and spend so much time on their food and where they get it. And that was a really neat moment as well. The fact that I could enlighten or I could share our perspectives as individuals who harvest for ourselves and share our values mm -hmm. and our passion for what we do and how we do it. It's, it's beautiful. And I can imagine, I, I think these are important conversations, really important conversations to have and really important um, aspects of our hunting lifestyle to talk about. I think doing that publicly in front of a hundred people because so much of this is so personal, um, is, is really vulnerable, um, just as much as it is important. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things I find myself almost getting so emotionally attached to some of these conversations. You know, I find myself not crying or wanting to cry, but just, you can feel the emotions <laughs> and it's something that I, I don't know how to explain why it's so important to me, but it really is. Yeah. Wow. You, you put yourself on the chopping block for the rest yeah. of us. The proverbial <laughs> chopping block. Yep. Um, that's, that's really cool. What a, what an amazing opportunity and what an amazing person you are to, to take advantage of it and go pursue it. So this makes me wonder so how did you go from growing up in the suburbs of Denver to being the hunter that you are now? Yeah, it was it was a journey and there's kind of there's two pieces to it. One was the the personal experience and I you know my dad is from the Midwest and Growing up, my favorite foods that I asked for for my mom to make for my birthdays every year was I either wanted ribs or I wanted steak. Um, meat is just amazing, and I love it. It's my favorite. And that was always a part of my background. But when I started to develop, to develop and to learn about food more, I went to my university, and I actually tried to be a vegetarian my first year when I was in college. And I failed <laughs> dramatically. Um, and you can pair that with, or I guess you can pair that closely with my wildlife degree and learning about conservation. You go to school and you learn about conservation, about hunting is about the meat, but it's also about the role that we as humans play in the ecosystem. So what I mean by that is, as humans, we've eradicated many of our predators, and now our populations of a lot of our ungulate species and other species are frequently out of balance. And so the role of a hunter can also be the role, the role to contribute to restoring that balance. And... So that was something that spoke to me as well, is contributing to that ecosystem, being a part of that ecosystem and fixing or attempting to correct some of our species' previous mistakes, I guess you could say. So there was that and the fact that conservation hunting is the number one tool for our, our wildlife managers. So that was kind of my experience personally and with my education and my knowledge to get me to a place where I was prepared to try it. And I was actually working with the student chapter of the Wildlife Society out there at CSU. And I, the chapter was approached by an individual who had a job opportunity to work at the, the North American 
wildlife conference, one of these conferences that has been going on for, I don't know, almost a, real long time. a century. <laughs> yeah, almost a century, like the oldest. Um, Longer than COVID, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and so I went out there and uh, spoke to a bunch of people. And my boss out there, he ended up inviting me to go out to hunt with him and his family. And I am forever, forever grateful for for this individual to share these experiences with me to welcome me into his home to go out and uh, try these things and we'd go out and I'd hang out with his kids and his kids would be teaching me things about the woods just because that they they grew up in it more than I did and it was humbling but it was also a good opportunity for me I do well in those types of environments I do well learning new things and I just was fortunate enough that he took me under his wing and he taught me, we started off with squirrel and it was sad and I practically cried. And then we went up and we did Turkey and he took me on my first deer hunt and I moved out of the state, but he was always there and he connected me to people in other States that mentored me on antelope jackrabbit in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And he walked me through and helped me refresh my memory on, you know, the dressing process and the butchering process when I took my big game in California. And, um, I just had that really strong support system. I couldn't have done it without that and without him and his family. Can I ask a real quick question? Because you said, you described, you said you do your, your, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the, the verbatim's not important. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting lost in thought. You mentioned that you're, uh, that you learn new things really well. And I'm curious if you can expand on that. I love that perspective because I think as adults, we're so hard on ourselves when we're learning new things. And so I, I'd love to hear more about your thought. Yeah, I am. Um... I would consider growing up, I was kind of a tomboy, you know, so I think a lot of us hunters, female hunters can relate to the being the only woman in a room and you kind of have to roll with the punches um, and roll with, with the jokes and roll with the um, knowledge gaps or by that, I mean, kind of, we all specialize in different things. And so I just kind of was able to be exposed to learning new things from different types of people a lot growing up because of that personality. And I think that we all have something to give and we all have something to learn. And none of us are experts. We're all just kind of in it together and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to put ourselves out there and to grow as individuals. And I make an effort not to let my fears and not to let my insecurities hold me back. That doesn't mean I don't have those things. I have a lot of fears and insecurities, but sometimes you have to choose to push them aside. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, so it sounds like you have a, a penchant for learning, a commitment to sourcing your food ethically, and the education to back that up. So all of that kind of sounds like the perfect storm for you being an R3 coordinator. <laughs> like, like maybe that was the job that you were made for. What do you think? I sure hope so. <laughs> um, I, uh, I would like to think that it's a good fit, and I, I love it. So as the Georgia R3 coordinator, I uh, work for a variety of organizations and I have a lot of support. So Georgia Wildlife Federation, Georgia Department of Natural Resources, Wildlife Resources Division, uh, National Deer Alliance, National Wild Turkey Federation, Safari Club, International Georgia Chapter. So a lot of great support and I really do enjoy what I do. Like talking to you two right now, it, I'm so comfortable and so happy just sharing my story and doing everything that I can to help other women 
conquer their own story and be their own their own masters of their destiny and for everyone to make new discoveries about themselves and about the outdoors. I love the way you said that to help other women conquer their own story. I feel like it's easy to to get this idea that there's a cookie cutter example of what we should look like as sportswomen or or any of the other roles that we have in our life. But I love that. Just true empowerment. Conquer your own story. Write your own story. Yeah, thank you. So it sounds like there's a lot of great things about your job. What's your what's your favorite part of your job? My favorite part of my job is that I am constantly meeting new people and learning new stories. For example, I went out to the Dove Field last Saturday with two different programs that I help oversee. The program is called Academics of Field, and we've got a chapter at three different universities, Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, University of Georgia Southern, and University, or Georgia University, excuse me. And we went out to the Dove Field, ABAC and UGA, and I met an individual, a graduate student at UGA from Brazil. And she was telling me about her culture and their perspective of hunting. And in Brazil, they don't hunt. Firearms are illegal. And because of that, they view hunting negatively. And by having her in this program for academics of field, which is a learn to hunt program, was really neat to see and a neat opportunity for me to appreciate the opportunity of hunting that we have here in the North in North America and appreciate the North American model for wildlife conservation. And because all a lot of other countries don't have a model similar to ours, a model that manages populations for health, but also balances the wants and the needs of the people, providing interactions for success and interactions for us to get our own food sources. And so that's a long answer to your question of what do I like most about my job, which is the opportunity to meet new people and hear people's stories. That's so cool. I had no idea that people in Brazil can't hunt. That's that's nuts to me. Yeah. And maybe I should reframe that because I don't know if they have limitations on on bows or if there are, are the actual structures. I just remember her saying that they don't have the firearms and so they don't have that relationship with hunting. Sure. Wow. I, I, I like how you mentioned with the North American model of wildlife conservation, kind of the importance of that human connection to wildlife and the opportunity to, to see them and interact with them. And I was talking to somebody a while back about a research project that's happening where they're, they're looking into the benefits to human to people um, through those interactions with wildlife. And to me, it sounds like an, a natural extension of the research that's been done primarily on kids about the benefits of natural spaces, right? There's the research that shows, you know, you show a kid a green space and their heart rate, you know, decreases and their stress visibly um, dissipates and it improves like cognitive functioning, it improves self-esteem, it improves body image. There's just all of these studies that show what natural spaces can can do for us, but that doesn't include wildlife. And I'm really curious to see what that study reveals about the importance of interactions between humans and wildlife as just kind of the next extension. It, I, I find that particularly fascinating. That is fascinating, and I wish I could remember the term, but I think there is a, a term out there for 
our need to be in touch with other life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am, if you, if you stumble upon that research, please do share it with me because with my background in environmental education, I know exactly what you're saying um, when it comes to the last child in the woods mm-hmm. and all of the other research out there for children. And I've searched online for research for adults as well and for research on how does hunting impact our mental health. Uh, mental, mental health is something that's important to me and I spend a lot of time trying to take care of my mental health and I look at hunting in a variety of ways, but it's also my happy place. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the the harv. I mean, the harvest has a lot of emotions in itself, but really building up to that harvest and really building up to that interaction, that uh, that intimate interaction. Scouting is one of my favorite parts of hunting because I am out there and my observations and my senses are elevated and I get the opportunity to disappear and the opportunity to what is the saying lose your mind and find your soul oh I've never heard that but I like it yeah Yeah. I like that too so yeah share that research with me Marcia I will I think it's in progress I'm not sure where they are in the in evaluating and publishing but I'll keep an eye on it Bree I would love to hear the story of your antelope hunt. That's a species that I have never pursued. And unfortunately, nowhere on my horizon immediately is that going to be possible for me. So let me live vicariously through you. Totally. So for for my pronghorn hunt, we went to the uh, eastern plains about two hours to the east of Fort Collins. And we were on some private land. And it's hard to hunt pronghorn. They have amazing eyesight. And they're different from your deer in that way. Your deer's strongest sense is going to be its sense of smell. But with pronghorn, it's their, their eyesight. And that just has to do with how they evolved and the habitat they evolved on. And so, you know, in the in the plains... It's not these open expanses of natural ecosystems like it is frequently in the West with your deer or your elk. There are roads and there are cars. And because of that, it's different, but the challenge is definitely still there. And so I think we were driving and we saw a herd of pronghorn It was a small herd, maybe only like six or seven. And we were like, okay, let's see if we can sneak up on them. So you drive and you find a spot to park and you evaluate the terrain. And you're like, okay, I see a very, very small ridge right here. So if I stay to the left of that ridge, there is protection from the eyesight of these pronghorn. And so you walk the lower side of this ridge, every once in a while poking your head up, like, are they still there? Yes, they're still there. Lower your head, keep walking, and you kind of do this like peekaboo thing. Um, and I just, you just keep going until you're, I think probably about 200 yards out is where we had to start to kind of crawl. And I, as it was my first pronghorn hunt, I went and I bought knee pads Mm. and because there are cacti out there. And so I had that, but I foolishly wasn't wearing long sleeves. And so I was, I was crawling and I was army crawling without long sleeves. And that was not the most, yeah, not the (laughs) most pleasant. Um, But it was also a new experience for me because I was trying to army crawl with my rifle. And um, that was something I had actually tried to practice at home before I went on this hunt. So I challenged everyone to try to army crawl with their rifle because it's not as easy as you would expect. Um, The second So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. so, do, you have, do you have army crawling techniques, tips, tips oh, and tricks for that? That's a good point. Well, it, 
with the have you done it, Marsha? Oh gosh, yes. Because pr- pronghorn, okay. pronghorn are one of my favorite species to pursue, um, and you learn a lot about your gear, uh, both good and bad, when you try to army crawl. Yes, yes. So, have that experience. We get to this point, and I'm probably within a hundred yards. So I'm I'm in shot now, and I. And started to figure out, okay, we've got two bucks, don't want them, I have a doe tag. Um, Okay, I could probably get that female, but then they decide it is the perfect time for an afternoon nap. Mm. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So what that tells me is it's the perfect time for me to take an afternoon nap. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Know your audience. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, so it was really lovely. I was I was with a guy and he wasn't all that into sleeping on the ground and he was a busy a busy game warden and so he was actually on his phone doing emails while while I was laying on the ground watching you know the the grass sway in the wind and mm-hmm. poking our heads up every once in a while to see if the pronghorn were moving and we could have snuck up on them and we could have flushed them but I. I didn't want to take that risk. I wanted yeah. to to take a clean shot with them calm and collected and standing still. And yeah, they're so fast too that yeah, you, that's just yeah. a crapshoot. Yeah. Fun fact, fun fact, which Bree, I'm sure you know this if you have a wildlife degree, but pronghorn evolves in conjunction with uh, what was basically a cheetah. And so they can run like 70 miles an hour, I think. And the cheetah has long since gone extinct, but that's why they're still so fast. Yeah really cool kind of cool evolution for sure um but but yeah eventually they they woke up from their nap and and i was able to to harvest a female and she went down and i was i was really grateful and it was a it was my first time taking an animal out of a herd even though it was only a small herd there was a it was a different experience um because i had to almost pick my -hmm. animal Mm -hmm. um and with my previous experiences I had had maybe one female um, that I was aiming at or one male. And so it, it, I experienced a different range of emotions and my adrenaline was pretty high. And um, so, yeah, that was something I wasn't expecting, but she was, she was great. Uh, the meat was, the meat was delicious and really light. And um, I'm really grateful for, for the opportunity and grateful for, for her to feed my family. I'm I'm curious one is aren't they the most beautiful animal you've ever seen up close? Like they to me are just so stunning. So stunning and and so soft mm-hmm. and I mean soft but coarse like at the same time. Um and their coloration is really rich. And and then I was also wondering I think it's interesting that you mentioned the difference in choosing an animal within a herd, because I do think that's a powerful consideration. Had you ever spent that much time with an animal prior to harvest too? Do you know what I mean? Like just sitting there and watching them for that length of time. I've experienced that with pronghorn too. And I think it's, um, it's, it's also a unique experience. You know, that's an interesting thought. I I cannot say that I had experienced that much time with another, with one of the animals that I had harvested. And that would probably explain, or that could contribute to that range of emotions that I was feeling and um, getting to know the dynamics of the herd and watching the, the bucks and their behavior and figuring out which female was probably the lead female. Um, that's an interesting thought. That's definitely yeah, something that... I've experienced before. And also just the, the shift in, in adrenaline when I, when I was ready to shoot, right. Cause I spent about 45 an- minutes with this herd and then suddenly they're in a position where I have a good shot and it's a change in mindset and a change in intention. And it was very interesting to observe um, kind of the chemical rush in my body with that change in intention. I remember that very distinctly. That's neat. I hadn't thought about that. Good insight. Yeah, that's fascinating to me because I think about deer hunting and, you know, at, at least here in the Southeast, you're typically going to be in a stand and the deer walks out and it's like, okay, this is an animal I'm going to harvest or not. And so then you either sit back and 
enjoy watching it knowing that it's going to leave unscathed or you are immediately fighting that adrenaline battle. So that would be really, it'd be something new to experience both of those things at the same time or successively. Mm -hmm. What's one of your favorite moments uh, in the, in the field or I guess on the water? I don't know how much of an angler you are, Brie. Yeah, I'm not a huge angler. It's definitely something I would like to participate in more. Um, there's so many things out there I want to learn and I want to develop. It's on the list. Um, but my uh, a neat experience I wanted to share with you all was my experience elk hunting because I I'm really proud of it and it was this fall and I was to the point where I had kind of gotten a little a little stubborn and I I didn't want to ask. Um, the mentor that I had called time and time again over the years, I didn't want to ask for his help. I wanted to do it all on my own with this new species, this new habitat, one of the challenge. Um, and so I worked really hard at it. I, you know, I, I watched Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Elks University. And when I say watch, I meant read like all 40 pages. Um, and I, poured over the maps and I found a spot and I was really excited. So I had this plan, right? Because all hunters have plans, as you should. Um, but I should have known that this plan was not going to be how my day went. Um, so we, my husband and I are out and we, we wake up and he does not like to hunt something kind of interesting about him he we learned at the same time but it just did not capture his attention like it captured my attention and so it's like pulling hairs trying to get him pulling teeth trying to get him out of bed in the morning um so we get to the spot that we're gonna hunt and there's already two cars in front of us and I'm like oh man um but there was also a herd of elk in front of us. Um, and so I got really excited, but I was like, well, this is a new experience. I have never been looking at a herd that other hunters were also looking at. And so I actually walked up to one of the, the other hunters and I was like, hey, what is, what do we do here? What is the, <laughs> nice. the ethics? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, do we, do we take turns? You know, do you ride away? Like, how does this work? And he was like, I don't know, but you want to do it together? And oh, I was like, that's yeah. amazing. Oh, so yes. good. So good. Yes. So he was actually out with his cousin who had never hunted elk either. So um, it was fun. The four of us, we were, we were kind of watching the herd and we were watching how the other hunters were approaching it. And we were like, okay, well, if those hunters bust this herd, how are they going to move? And where can we put ourselves in preparation for those movements? And so, you know, we, we kind of played the game and we watched and we moved accordingly. And it ended up, they, the other hunters busted the herd and the elk, instead of moving to us, went up and over and down the ridge. Um, and so we didn't get that hurt, but we, we stuck together. We kept walking and um, we saw a bunch of sign, but couldn't find anything, couldn't find anything. And then all of a sudden we're standing there and I look out over this ridge and probably like, I don't know, 900, 900 yards. I don't know, probably even further than that. I don't know, a quarter mile, a herd of like 200 elk. Oof. And I'm like, Oh my, wow. oh my, this is it. This is it. How, how do I get down there to get these elk? Um, and so it was a fun game. We were doing more of that, that um, crossing ridges and sticking to the low spots, trying to get closer and closer and closer. And we get to this little, this little rock island where we finally have a view of them and we're at a high spot so we can kind of view the terrain and plan our, our movements and, we had ended up crossing like somewhere between seven and 10 miles Dang. and we knew, yeah, we knew that we, if we got a harvest, we wouldn't want to haul that animal back up the ridges that we had hiked. And mm. so I actually sent my husband, I was like, okay, you need to go back and you need to get the truck and you need to meet me on the other side because it was only like two miles from the other road. So I stayed with the the two new friends that I had made. My husband went to go get the truck and meet us on the other side. And we decided before my husband left, the four of us came up with a game plan on how were, how were the two hunters 
the two newbies um, that were actually taking the shot, how are we going to sneak up on the herd? Um, and we kind of came up with our game plan. And before we actually implemented it, of course, the elk all laid down and bedded down again. <laughs> You're hunting some sleepy animals. Right? I am. I am. So I took a cue from them and I took another amazing <laughs> nature map, nap. <laughs> Um, and so that was fun. But by about two o'clock, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't wait for you guys anymore. I need, you need to move or I need to move because it's getting closer to dark. Mm -hmm. So, um, the two newbies, we went out and we approached them and I didn't know if how I was going to approach them was going to work, but we get to this spot and we're about to go over this ridge to see where they are. And oh my goodness, they're like one ridge over. Uh, I don't know how they covered so much ground so quickly, but I was probably 200 yards from them at that point mm. to the point where I very quickly like backed down and the guy and I were like, okay, it's time to, time to get our shot because they're moving, they're moving towards us, time to get set up. And um, we ended up getting set up and they're coming closer and closer and I couldn't find a shot. I couldn't find an animal. I didn't want to take the head cow. I couldn't take a bull. I had a cow tag. I was just waiting and they were probably, the herd was so big. Some of them were probably within 75 yards wow. before I could take a shot. And to the point where I was like, I need to take a shot. Otherwise we're going to get trampled. Um, <laughs> So it was an incredible moment where all of my hard work had come together and culminated in this herd and me being at the right space at the right time. Um, and, you know, when all said, when, when all was done, I was able to harvest a cow and she was, she was on the smaller side. She was probably only about two years old, but she, um, and she, oh my goodness, she was so strong and so, um, so willed, had such a will to live. Uh, it was a really emotional experience, but I was able to harvest her and take home her meat. And elk is the most amazing meat I have ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And the most amazing hunt I have ever experienced. Did, was, the, did the other guy get an elk? Is my question he, also. <laughs> yeah, no, he didn't. So I think that was kind of part of the the trepidation. It was kind of like, well, do we yeah. do we each get a shot and do we yeah. count to three yep. so we can take it at the same time? And and you know, eventually he was like, if you get a shot, take it. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm taking a shot. I'm taking a shot. <laughs> and so he didn't take it. Um, but the the guys they were really helpful with me tracking my animal down and um really supportive you know these two strangers so supportive um and all all worked out we were able to to get everything out to the truck and um i think i we exchanged numbers and i think he got an elk about 2 weeks later oh, good so oh that's great that's such an yep. amazing story brie yep. yeah and and I appreciate so much that it started with a, hey, I'm not sure what to do in this situation and ended <laughs> up on an all-day hunt together. I, there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people are so – I've never had a bad experience in the wood with other hunters. Me neither. I know that they happen, but I've never had one. And so I'm just going to move forward with this optimism and, you know, that – everyone's all out there to have a good time and be kind and gracious and mm -hmm. work. We're all in it together. Mm -hmm. And I think if you approach somebody, uh, and I, I obviously I know this isn't true for everybody. Um, but a lot of times if you approach somebody, somebody with that level of openness, um, and honesty, that's what they give in return. I agree. Let's let's keep with that thought then. I have some experiences that would counter that, but we don't need to talk about them because I have many more that align with what you both are. Right. There's an exception about. to every rule and and uh, sometimes right. people are just jerks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but what a what an amazing story, Brie. I don't know I don't know that I've ever heard a first 
elk or a really a first anything story that has that many awesome elements. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. I agree. Yep. It was, it's one for the record books and I uh, definitely want to remember that story. And, you know, I, I want to bring up is everyone has their own way to remember a story. And I, I'm not a big, I don't like to take pictures of my harvests. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I try to find different ways to remember the hunts. And so I try to take a, a really beautiful landscape shot at every one of my hunts um, to remember, to remember the experience. That's great. I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, can I also just say that a hunt that starts with an, I don't know, would you say eight mile hike in and a two mile hike out is, is, is like a well planned hunt. Day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it definitely, if I had to do it again, I would not um, do it that way because I wouldn't have taken a shot so close to uh, land boundaries and private land boundaries because Mm -hmm. those animals can cover a lot of distance in really short periods of time so you live and you learn it had its benefits and it's it's risks yeah definitely very cool well we're going to take a quick break to hear from the NWF Outdoors podcast we'll be right back Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org. Welcome back. We are going to do our weekly closer, Hits and Misses. Uh, Bree, I don't know if you're familiar with with how this goes, but basically we want to know what you've been aiming for and how how did it go. Marsha, do you want to start us off? I do. Um because I'm very excited, clearly. So I, it, it's pronghorn season is coming up here in Montana. And I have a group of friends that I've been going hunting, antelope hunting with for the last six years, maybe. Uh, and typically we go out to Eastern Montana. Um, but this time uh, we, we, in the conversation where we were deciding where we want to apply for a tag and in Montana for antelope, you can do group tags. So uh, we applied for a group tag and typically the region we apply for has a really high success rate for drawing because there's just a lot of antelope and a lot of land out there. Um, But this year we decided to have our first choice be an area that's a little closer to Missoula and has a super low draw rate. So we're like, there's no way in hell we're going to get this draw. So let's just put it first. We'll get some points for the system next year. And then we'll go out to 700 like we usually do. Well, we got our tag in the closer, more unlikely area, um, which was a bit of a surprise because this area only gets 75 tags drawn um, each season. And, and we got four of them. So very exciting. Uh, but also a little intimidating because we've hunted the same land for the last seven years and suddenly we need to scout out a new area. Uh, and so my friend Alex and I went down a couple weekends ago to scout out the area and just say, okay, this is where we're going to be. Where are the animals? Um, so we took two days to really get a good look at the region. Um, and and I agree with you, Bree. Scouting is one of my favorite things to do because it's the same mentality you have when you're hunting right of getting a good a good view of the landscape and looking for sign and trying to predict where these animals are going to be um, without the pressure of a harvest which is a pressure that I enjoy um, but it's also fun to have success be locating the animal um, and to getting to know a new place um, with that same level of depth and intimacy uh, and so it was, it was really fun and we have some good ideas about where we're going to, how we're going to plan our hunt um, this fall when we go back in pursuit of pronghorn. Um, and it was just 
it's just beautiful to get to know a new space with that level of intimacy. That's nice. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go, Marsha. Thank you. What about also, you, Bree? Oh, sorry. <laughs> One Redo. more thing. One more hit is it was also really validating um, to look at this place that I've never been before and plan out where we're going to scout. I think we should look here. I think we should look there and just kind of take some of the lessons that I had thought I learned in my uh, experience hunting out East and apply them to this new space um, and have success was, was always, you know, that's always fun. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm done. I promise. <laughs> what about you, Brie? What have you been aiming for? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this and what have I been aiming for? Um, so here in Georgia, we are coming up, um, on, you know, our, our hunting seasons and I hunt with a rifle. So I've got, I think I've got about a month before the season opens and I am amazed at how quickly it is here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and so I had, you know, I, I tend to always have like plans, like I have my workout plans, I've got my shooting plans, like I need to make sure that I, I go to the range enough times. And, and so I always have a plan, but for whatever reason, this year has just been busy. Um, and I haven't been able to uh, make all of those and get all those, those those marks and hit my goals as strongly as I would like to, but um, I think that I'm just even more motivated to to cram in the next couple of weeks to to get the job done. Um, and so that's kind of kind of a, a goal and a little bit of a, a miss. But um, with that, there have been plenty of other great things that I've gotten to do the last couple of weeks that I am very grateful for, and I'm glad I got to spend my time doing it spend my time in those manners. Well, here's cool. to hoping I can, I can identify with that Brie. I, I had big dreams of being a big time archery hunter this year and getting out there and shooting, shooting a deer with my bow for the first time. And the combination of the mosquito infested jungle that we live in and having a baby has really put a damper on my ability to get out and shoot as much as I've wanted to. Um, but the season is long, so I'm not going to be ready for opener, but maybe towards the end I can still get out there. I think connected to that, one of the things I've been aiming for is um, a new house. That's what we've been trying to yes, move for a while. Update. Yeah, the update is not good. Well, maybe it's good. I don't know. We, we were going to buy a house and had an inspection done, and it was a complete piece of junk. So we have learned from that and are not buying that house and are back to square one. Um, and closely approaching square two, which is living in a camper somewhere. <laughs> so uh, update update on that. Hopefully a good one next week or the week after. But um, the big, the one of the big concerns or issues I have about moving or not moving is that I don't know where I'm going to hunt this fall. Mm. And where we live, I don't feel like there's uh, good opportunities to get out into the field with a baby the same age of, of my daughter. She's four months old now. So she's like not quite enough to wear on my back. And so I really can't archery hunt with her at this point. Um, and I just don't feel great about taking her out onto public land during rifle season. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I don't know. There's a lot of question marks about this season. Um, but kind of like Brie, what you said, I have gotten to be a mother and that's been amazing. So I'm trying to just, um, think about this season in life and kind of go with the flow of what it brings. That's awesome. And, um, I don't know what it would be like to live in a camper with a newborn. Um, but <laughs> I did have that experience a couple of years ago. So if you're, if you're considering it, it's definitely one to, to try. Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to do an episode on living in a camper tips. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I can contribute to that one too. Yay. <laughs> I've lived in a camper before actually, but never with a husband and baby and two dogs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's fair. Yeah. Changes the landscape a little bit. Yep. Um, but great. Okay. Bree, thank you so much for joining us. It was, it was really wonderful to hear your stories and even more than that, your perspectives on hunting and feeding yourself and the emotions that go into that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ashley and Marcia. I'm really glad to have have had the opportunity to share my story. So thank you for what you all do and for sports women everywhere. And thank you, Brie, for all the amazing work you do with the Georgia Wildlife Federation. You guys do some of the best R3 work in the country. Um, and I'll say that anywhere <laughs> to anybody. Um, yep. So thank you for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Artemis podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. <laughs> <laughs>